All right. Hello and welcome back to the Wellness Wisdom Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about the digestive system. The digestive system is a complex network of organs and processes that break down the food we eat into nutrients that our body can absorb, right? It includes organs like the mouth, the esophagus, stomach, small and large intestines, the liver, gallbladder, and pancreas. Digestive health is crucial for our overall well-being because it affects the body's ability to absorb essential nutrients from food. And proper digestion is key for maintaining a strong immune system. You've heard us talk about that on a previous episode. It also is in key in producing neurotransmitters for mental health and sustaining our energy levels. So in this episode, we're going to explore the various aspects of digestive health from a functional medicine and holistic perspective. And we'll discuss the role of digestion in immune and mental health, common digestive issues, holistic nutrition, and lifestyle approaches to support your digestive wellness. I'd like to introduce you to all the beautiful coaches we have here this morning. So we have Jane Phillips, Michelle McCoy, Bobby McGrath, and Kathy Riley. Welcome ladies, and of course myself, Shannon Spears, Again, we want to start out with our medical disclaimer. All of the information that you hear from us in this podcast today is for educational purposes only. We do expect you and ask you to talk with your doctor, talk with your medical professional about making any changes before you do that. All right, let's get started. So first of all, it's definitely important to understand the digestive system. So your digestive system is a network of organs that help you digest and absorb nutrition from your food, right? It includes your gastrointestinal tract, which contains your mouth, your esophagus, your stomach, small intestine, large intestine, and the anus. It also contains your biliary system, which includes your liver, gallbladder, pancreas, and your bile ducts. Your digestive system is uniquely constructed to do its job of turning your food into nutrients and energy that you need to survive. And when it's done with that, it handily packages your solid waste or stool for disposal when you have a bowel movement. Digestion is important because your body needs nutrients from the food you eat and the liquids you drink in order to stay healthy and function properly. Nutrients include carbohydrates, proteins, fats, vitamins, minerals, and water. Your digestive system breaks down and absorbs these nutrients from the foods and liquids you consume for use for important things like energy and growth and repairing cells. One of the most important parts of digestion process is your pancreas because during digestion, it makes pancreatic juices called enzymes. These enzymes break down your sugars, fats, starches, Your pancreas also helps your digestive system by making hormones. These are chemical messengers that travel through your blood and are essential for many other organs in your body. Pancreatic hormones help regulate your blood sugar levels, your appetite, they stimulate stomach acid, and tell your stomach when to empty. We hear a lot recently about the lining of the gut. So how about we start with describing what the lining of the gut is and why it's so important. Bobby, can you help us with that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I was trying to come up with a way that makes it a little bit simpler. So I'm going to visually describe this and hopefully people listening can understand. But if you take your hand and you're looking at your fingers and you're, you want to put your fingers together, this is a healthy gut lining. If you spread your fingers apart, 
that is an unhealthy gut lining. And basically your fingers are what's called villi. And you're gonna have all of these cells that go along your fingers that are where absorption and all of the transportation of nutrients and things happen in your gut lining. It's a super, super metabolic area. So when you have an open gut lining, also known as a leaky gut, because your villi, your fingers get damaged, that's where you have issues with your gut lining. So a lot of times you'll hear people say, I have, I have leaky gut, or I have a particular disease like celiac disease, where you have gluten that gets in and your body treats it as an invader. So you have a lot of gut dysfunction, things like Crohn's disease, um, SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. All of that basically is your gut lining is damaged and damage can happen from toxins in your environment, what you eat and breathe and drink, what you put on your skin, what you come into contact like externally with chemicals, um, parasites, viruses, all that kind of stuff. All of that you know, information goes into your GI tract and your GI tract has to kind of protect itself. And the, the problem with it is, is it's a very thin layer that is happening. It's like a one cell kind of layer there that's happening in your gut and it's easily damaged. And so that's why it's important to protect your gut lining, staying away from toxins and crappy food and making sure you're using healthy body care and not eating foods that are going to be um, damaging to your gut lining. Fried foods are not also, you know, something that you want to stay away from. But when you're dealing with a leaky gut, that's when a lot of things happen with your system that can cause you to, um, you know, have a lot of symptoms in your health that it's hard to figure it out. And the gut is where a lot of it begins. So nutrient absorption obviously is important for our overall vitality, right? Digestive nutrients provide energy and cellular repair for growth. And this keeps your intestinal cells healthy and prevents inflammation, which can reduce your risk of digesting, di digestive conditions. Say that 10 times fast, <laughs> which is what Bobby was mentioning, right? And so our optimal digestion and nutrient absorption supports your immune function as well as your overall health. Things like fat soluble vitamins, like vitamin A, D, E, and K that are in your fruits and vegetables, they need to have a source of fat for maximum absorption. A lot of people don't know that. Um, you know, and when you're taking your vitamin D supplement, you should be having a food that has some, some source of fat to help it absorb, right? And this is why it's important to eat veggies or fruits as well with a healthy oil or some olives and cheese, or another source of healthy fat-containing protein like fish. If these healthy nutrients cannot be absorbed properly into your body through that digestive system, whether it's because they don't have the proper nutrients to be absorbed with, or you have damage like Bobby was mentioning, then your immune system is one of the first things that's going to be impacted. So Kathy, can you walk us through what role a healthy gut plays in creating that strong immune system and helping to um, give us kind of that, um, that border against things like allergies? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. A healthy gut is pivotal in supporting uh, your immune function. In fact, 70% of your immune cells are actually found in the gut, um, which is why it's so important to take care of your gut and the gut lining. Um, there's, you know, everything from lymphocytes to um, Treg cells and, and other immunoglobulins that actually help to recognize and respond to harmful invaders, what your body thinks is a harmful invader, you know, and it could 
plays a huge part in defending your body against infections. So a, a balanced microbiome is very important to help train and calibrate your immune responses. Um, the different bacteria in your gut, there's there's hundreds of different bacteria in your gut. And that means that um, you, know, you need to make sure that you're eating a variety of foods because different bacteria come from different foods. Um, uh, back to what Bobby was saying about the leaky gut, um, when it's actually the proteins, um, when they get through that epithelial cell in the leaky gut, um, is what's causing so many um, inflammatory responses, um, food allergies, autoimmune issues, and those kind of things, all inflammatory responses, because the body, your system doesn't know what to do with them. Another very important aspect to um, of healthy gut is short-chain fatty acids, which are produced from fibers and prebiotics um, that actually feed the bacteria in your gut. They don't actually, it's not something, you're not eating it for your own benefits so much as to feed the bacteria in your gut, which actually create these short-chain fatty acids. Um, and that actually helps to heal your gut and give you better metabolism and uh, protection against that. So, um, yeah, you definitely want to um, take care of your gut to make sure that you have a healthy re immune response and reduce those allergies and autoimmune conditions. Thank you. Kathy is our one of our gut experts. She actually works <laughs> with the gut every single day, yeah. doing different types of, you know, supplements and things like that. So we absolutely love when she's able to come on and show her expertise. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So many people think of depression and anxiety as a chemical imbalance in the brain, right? But these chemicals are actually created in the gut, not in the brain. In fact, more than 30 different neurotransmitters and nearly 90% of the body's serotonin, the feel-good hormone, come from your gut. Some other ways our gut health may be connected to our mental health has to do with the impact that stress has on our bodies. And you've heard us talk about that in multiple episodes previously. So the gut plays a large role in inflammation and producing hormones that are often known to affect our mood, like serotonin and dopamine. Sometimes it's not just that our gut is unhealthy, but it can be more about the cortisol levels that are high due to chronic stress. And we end up in what's called sympathetic dominance. And this is definitely common in those who have experienced trauma. When this happens, some of our gut functions shut down and our body gut microbiome doesn't absorb nutrients properly and therefore it can't produce the proper amount of hormones or neurotransmitters that our brains need to function properly. So Bobby, can you explain more about this gut brain connection and its impact on our mental health? I know a lot of our listeners are probably going to be like, whoa, okay, it's not all in my head, right? <laughs> we hear that a lot. You are, you are very true. The, the brain gut connection is massive. And a lot of people don't realize that um, the, the gut is actually called the second brain. So people might be surprised that they've done a lot of research, especially in the last 10 years, about the, the gut-brain connection. They call it the gut-brain access. And as you just mentioned, it's a huge piece to regulating our mood, regulating our mental status, how we regulate ourselves throughout our day. Um, there, there's more messages actually that come up from the gut to the brain than actually go down from the brain to the gut, which when I found that out, I was pretty blown away by that. 
And the messages when they come in, they're actually going to our nervous system, like you mentioned, to our endocrine system and also to our immune system, Shannon, like you mentioned. Um, and so it's, it's an important connection. It's kind of like the phone, like the old phones. If you didn't have that cord on the phone, you're, you couldn't use your phone. It wouldn't work properly, right? Yeah. And so like Shannon mentioned, 80% or more of your happy hormones are made in your gut. And so when people are dealing with a longstanding mental health issue, the gut would be one of the first places I would think all of us would want to point you towards working on, um, especially because of the fact that when you are, you know, sending serotonin out from your gut, if you don't have enough and it's not making it into your brain or the, the amount that's there is not enough you're going to always struggle with mood issues. So I would highly suggest anybody considering before they go on to a pharmaceutical um, medication that would maybe for be for anxiety or, or depression to really work with somebody that can help you and guide you like Kathy on, you know, your gut health and what, what supplements to take and what foods to avoid and what foods to beef it up because the messages um, come from the bacteria in our gut. And when you populate your gut with the proper bacteria and you decrease your stress, like Shannon said, and you get enough sleep and some other things we'll mention through this whole podcast, you're going to be able to make a big dent in your mental health. If your gut brain connection, which can be broken very easily by toxins and stress and crappy food, if that connection is strong, you're going to have a strong gut. I think yeah, I'd like to add something real quick in there, um, just to make sure that people are aware, you know, we're talking about the gut-brain connection and, and how important the gut is. Um, just real quick, if you're not having at least one bowel movement a day, or you're having more than four or five, you know, you need to definitely address your um, your microbiome health and make that a priority, because that that regulates everything else in your body. So make sure that you're having those proper bowel movements. Um, and if you're not, please reach out to somebody to help you. Absolutely, absolutely. And that really brings us into the next section for sure. Um, you know, that's something that I didn't realize was going on a few years ago. I had um, H. pylori, which is a bacterial infection in the gut, and it caused a lot of gas, it caused heartburn, it caused low progesterone, which is where my hormone trouble started, right? So, but a normal doctor didn't tell me that. They they thought I was fine. It was just GERD, right? Um, just eat differently, choose different foods to eat. And when that didn't work, I, I had to choose something else. So, you know, many people don't like to talk about digestive issues and they're afraid to go to, you know, a gastrointestinal doctor or anything like that. We've all heard the horror story about the different tests and everything that have to be done. Um, but having digestive problems is definitely more common than people think. In fact, 60 to 70 million people are affected by some type of digestive disease or ongoing digestive symptoms. Some of the most common digestive issues are GERD, which is a chronic acid reflux or heartburn, which the myth is, is that it's too much stomach acid. And it absolutely is not. It is a lack of stomach acid in your body. Um, your, your stomach is trying to give you clues that it needs more stomach acid. It needs help down there. Okay. And that could be because you're struggling with your gallbladder. You could be struggling with your liver or something else is going on. So it's really important to address it 
And as we have all found, addressing it in a holistic way with a functional medicine doctor, or a naturopath, or a health coach is one of is the best way to do that, right? Along with getting some of those other tests by you know um, regular doctors. But you also have IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. You also have like IBD, which is irritable bowel disease, which is kind of like that next step of IBS. Um, and then in, in your, your body, your bowel system is just easily triggered by foods um, is really what that is and can definitely be contributed to leaky gut, as Bobby was talking about previously. There's also Crohn's disease, which again is caused by inflammation in the digestive system um, and can be really attributed to like an autoimmune disease because there's just so much going on. Um, there's many other root causes that are attached to that. Many people, um, again, like both Bobby and Kathy were talking about, suffer with gluten intolerance, right? And again, a lot of times it's because of that leaky gut, um, because those proteins are getting through and they shouldn't. Um, and then there's other issues like gallstones. We've previously done an episode on the gallbladder and gallbladder health. And then ulcerative colitis, which again is an autoimmune disorder where the immune system actually mistakes the colon lining as an invader. And so it keeps attacking it. Again, there's root causes to that that need to be addressed that typically in the mainstream medical system are not addressed. It's just give a pill and set and forget. So what are some dietary changes that can help individuals with common digestive issues and really overall healthy digestive systems? Michelle, how about we pop in with you? Yeah, you know, about, gosh, feels like forever ago. I was in my late 20s when I was diagnosed with IBS. And I was literally just told I could just take Imodium AD every day for the rest of my life. And that was really the only thing that they could do for me. So IBS, you know, irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, like it really did affect my life. Like it controlled my life for many, many, many years. And you might be in that situation too, where you're not quite getting the answers that you're searching for. You know, I knew some of the foods that made it worse. I knew that ice cream would, it was a recipe for disaster for sure. But, and I was able to avoid, but years later when I really got fed up and I started digging in, learning, researching about the gut, like what Kathy and Bobby and Shannon were saying, like, and then you had heard me previously talk about our daughter's illness and gluten intolerance, like all of these things that impacted our family really helped me to get serious about getting rid of my IBS. Like I was over having my family wait for me in the car every Sunday morning, every you know time we had to go to church, like the anxiety or whatever, like something I ate the night before, it didn't matter. So IBS can control your life, IBD, Crohn's, all of those that Shannon mentioned really can control your life. And it almost feels like a, like this heavy sentence is on you, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's always something that you can do to help your body recover. So just to keep this really simple, I would review some of the foods that you're eating right now. If you are dealing with something digestively like gas bloating, constipation, diarrhea, or pain, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have one of these specific conditions that Shannon mentioned, but it is a very big warning light that something is wrong. So what is not right? What's not going the way it should be going? So reviewing what you're eating, keeping a, a food diary for at least a full week, just making note of what you're eating, 
but also how you feel, how you're eliminating um, how your energy levels are after you eat that food, because that's going to give you great info on how your body is working. And then you can begin to make a change in one area. So for example, let's say you eat bread at every meal. You've got um, toast in the morning, you've got a sandwich at lunch, and you have pasta for dinner. If you're also having crackers and chips in between, you know, just make note of that and make note of how you're feeling. And to Kathy's point, if you are only having a bowel movement every three, three to four days, that's not normal. Contrary to what you might hear and might have been told, just because it's common doesn't make it normal. So something in your eating needs to change. Your body's giving you a big red flag. Those warning signals are going off. So maybe if that's you and you are eating bread and pasta and, you know, the crackers and all of that every single day throughout the day, make one small change. Switch out one meal. Start with one meal and eliminate all bread, pasta, crackers, chips, any form of wheat for one meal and keep jotting down your foods, jot down your mood and your poop, you know, like it's that food, mood, poop journal, right? But don't give up if you don't notice changes right away, because a lot of people will give up too soon. And they go back to eating thinking that, well, I went gluten free, and it didn't, it didn't affect my IBS, or it didn't affect my Crohn's. But it takes time. And you have to be intentional. And you have to be very proactive and not give up. Overall, processed foods, like what comes in a bag, a box, a package, it's made up of food or food-like substances that have been highly processed and tampered with. So the body is struggling to recognize what is real. When you start incorporating whole foods into your eating, then your body will respond nicely. So you want to think about those leafy greens, like eating the colors of the rainbow in your fruits and your veggies, those whole complex carbs like quinoa and wild rice, you know, lentils, those root veggies. Basically, if God made it, eat it. If it's going to rot in the ground, go ahead and eat that. If it's man-made and it can sit on a shelf for five years, be really mindful of how much you're eating and how your body is reacting when you eat. So in addition to eating whole foods and eating more natural foods, a lot of people are chronically dehydrated and that greatly affects the, the bowel system, the whole gut. It affects our brain. So staying hydrated is key because when we are dehydrated, everything slows down. Okay. So your digestive system will slow right down. Uh, often constipation is just amazingly helped by simply drinking enough water consistently being consistent. But one thing I want you to understand is that sometimes we feel so bad for so long, we think it's our normal. And I want to assure you that just because it's normal or just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. There's always something that you can do. There's always something you can do to help your body to feel better and to repair from the damage that's been done. But give your body time to adjust to your healthier way of eating and your digestive system will respond nicely more times than not. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Michelle. You know, it's, it's amazing how much just switching what we're eating can help digestion. But, you know, to what you were saying, sometimes, you know, clients that I've had, friends that I've helped, 
you know, they're like, well, I, I changed what I was eating for three days and I didn't notice any difference. Right. And then they just go back to what they were eating. And it takes time. If you've been eating processed foods and having some of these issues for years on end or a year or more, even it's not going to change in just two or three days. You're going to have to go several weeks. You know, I always recommend, and I know you all do as well, six to eight weeks of changes, you know, and even if it's just doing one change for this week or seven to 10 days, and then we're going to make another change for seven days, like it's the culmination of these changes that are helping your digestive system. Your digestive system, when there's so much damage, has to do so much more repairing that cannot be done in just two or three days. So you have to really be committed. And I, I think that's a problem that I see with a lot of, uh, of people when they try to make changes. It's the lack of commitment because they don't see the quick change. We're in this, this society that we need something to do fast. We want immediate results of something. Um, and in reality, that's not how it works. Those quick fixes are going to make longer lasting damages that are not going to be reversed. And so you need to decide mentally that you're in this for the long haul. And that's where, you know, even health coaches come into play to have somebody who's on your side to be your cheerleader and say, it's okay, keep going. You had a little bit of a setback, but we're still going in the right direction. Look at all the positive changes that have happened. So, all right. So let's take this one step further and talk about some food tolerances and sensitivities. You know, Bobby, you had talked about a little bit and Kathy as well, as far as, you know, gluten intolerance, we have other food sensitivities that people are, are, are going with, like, you know, whether it's corn or soy, peanuts, things like that, right? So how can one identify and address some of these food intolerances and sensitivities? And I want to remind our audience, we're not talking about full-blown allergies we're talking about those sensitivities and intolerances that are coming up because your digestive health is not good. You can, well, a lot of times people don't, like uh, Michelle was saying, you got to write things down. You have to be aware, you have to take the time, but you also can't change a bunch of things at one time because then you have no idea what what is getting better, getting worse, what you reacted to. So kind of deciding, you know, working with an, a health coach and nutritionist or somebody that can guide you. But some of the things that people don't realize is that you don't have to be allergic to something to actually have a sensitivity to it. What that basically means is, is if you're going to eat a bunch of, you know, particularly like you, all of a sudden you just love Brussels sprouts and you're and crazy about Brussels sprouts, but your, your pathway that basically digests that and sends the parts that you need um, and your body can use gets too full. And so you start to have symptoms of maybe over, you know, too much oxalates, too much lectins, different things that come from our foods. So getting down to the nitty gritty of figuring out those kinds of things, first of all, it takes time, it takes patience, and it takes, you know, keeping track of things. So a food journal, like Michelle was talking about, um, going in and thinking about learning, like, what is a lectin? Learn about what that is that comes from plant-based materials. Um, maybe you have an oxalate issue. I had, probably still have an oxalate issue. I had two kidney stones, one when I was two months postpartum and one when I was seven months pregnant. Not fun. And they, fortunately, I passed them. They were oxalate kidney stones. So that told my doctor right away, 
I was not digesting or getting rid of oxalates very well. So there's a low oxalate diet that you go on and hopefully you don't have any more kidney stones. I haven't, um, but that can also be dehydration issues too. I didn't have enough fluid to actually flush my kidneys. So there's different reasons for it, but sometimes it's just detective work, which does take time. And I want people to kind of realize that you didn't get this way overnight. So it's not going to necessarily happen the changes overnight. Sometimes you can feel better in three days, but typically it's going to take longer than that. Um, and know that you're a work in progress. So something that like a food sensitivity test is just a snapshot in time. And so if you are showing high in particular things, as you heal your gut and it becomes less leaky, you can go back to eating those foods sometimes, maybe not in high quantities, but you can add them back into your diet. And I also want to point out here too, Bobby, is that one of the things I've done food sensitivity testing, working with my clients on gut health for many, many years since I first started coming out um, and have done several on myself. My kids have had several. And one of the things that I have noticed in doing them that a lot of people don't realize, you know, you can order it yourself from home. You know, you see commercials all the time where you can do that. But simple things like spices or cinnamon or you know, something like you said that you're eating every single day will pop up as that sensitivity. That does not mean that you are sensitive to it. It means just take a break for a little bit from it because it's like you said, your body is just, it's holding on to it and it doesn't know what to do with it. Like your body doesn't need the vitamins and minerals that are coming from it right now. Like it's just overloaded the system. So, you know, I'm I've had to have that conversation with clients going, okay, well, do you sprinkle cinnamon in your coffee every morning? Well, yeah, I have for two years. Okay, more than likely, it's not a sensitivity, but let's see what we do without it for a week or two, right? And and typically, that's that's what it is. It's just, that's what's popped up. And, and typically, on those food allergy tests, you can tell because it goes in levels, right? So if it's just kind of a like in a yellow zone where it's like, you know, caution with this, it typically tells me that's just something that they've been doing on a daily basis, right? Um, so it's really important, you know, to definitely work with somebody when you are doing those and, and to help guide you. I know as health coaches, we all work with people on an individual basis and what is right for them. So it's not a one size fits all type of box scenario. It's, you know, what is going to work for you individually rather than the conventional medical system that's just going to apply the same thing to every person. Um, so that's that's the big difference between us and, and conventional medicine. Not that there's anything wrong with conventional medicine. We've talked about that multiple times on other podcasts. So let's um, talk a little bit more about digestive health and how it can be managed. You know, we live in a go-go world, a society that we are on the run all the time, and we're continuously under varying amounts of stress, depending on our work life, our family life, our lifestyle choices. One of the biggest things that affects digestive health that I mentioned earlier is many people's neglect to address the stress in their life. So let's talk about what role does stress play in that digestive health and how can it be better managed and why would you want to? Well, we can't digest <laughs> food if we're stressed out. I mean, the bottom line is if you picture yourself as a cave woman or a cave man, right? And you're outside your cave and here comes the, you know, tiger and you've got to run. You're not going to be able to sit there and eat your, you know, 
big thigh bone that you just roasted on the fire or whatever, because you're running for your life. And that's what happens when we spend too much time, as Shannon said, in the sympathetic dominant mode. Sympathetic dominant mode is survival mode. And what happens when you're in survival mode is your your digestion shuts down. It's a part of your body shunting your blood and your energy and things to the places that it needs to go, which is not digestion. It's not fertility. It's it's a lot of things that get slowed down. And um, like Kathy said, if you're not going to the bathroom and having bowel movements, that's a pretty big sign that there's some pretty big digestive upset in there. But I will tell you, a lot of people who have constipation have high levels of stress that they're not addressing um, because the vagus nerve, as I mentioned earlier, gets damaged, which is the nerve that leaves your brain and goes down into all of your organs and tells your organs what to do. And when that gets damaged from stress, from high cortisol um, content, like Shannon was talking about, the, the communication stops. So that means digestion slows down, your motility slows down. So the movement of your stool, um, the enzyme she was speaking about, the um, digestive juices, all of those things just slow down or become much less. And same thing with um, reflux. A lot of times it's not so much you have too much stomach acid is that you don't have enough. And so one of the things you can do with stress when it comes in the realm of eating is slow down. And I've got a couple tips for you that hopefully will, you can try to remember. There's the four S's that I talk to my clients about. One is to stop, which is eliminate distractions. Stop distractions and get focused on the fact that you're eating because that turns your brain on. Then you're going to sit down because you're going to, by sitting down and getting comfortable, you're going to turn on your parasympathetic system and you're going to move away from the sympathetic dominance. Put your feet on the ground so you're grounded because that also helps you shift over. Then you're going to smell what you're eating, which sounds kind of crazy. A lot of people don't want to take time to smell it, but smell it because that's that also is connecting your gut to your brain. It's sending, it's like turning on the light switch when you go in the room and sending those messages to turn on the gastric juices to start the motility going, turning on the engines, warming up the car, right? And it helps with a lot of just preparation in your system for you to receive the food. And then when you sit down, you want to try three tips to remember is that you want to breathe because that also has helped prepare your body for food. And you want to breathe like a couple breaths before you actually take your first bite and pull the breath all the way down into your abdomen, down by your belly button. Then you also want to chew. And a lot of times people say, you know, chew 30 or 40 times. That's kind of annoying to have to sit there and count your chews. I would suggest trying it for the first few times to see how much you actually have to chew to get the 30. But you want it, your food to be liquefied. You want it to be easy to swallow. You're not choking on your food as you're swallowing it down because you're eating so fast. I think I read a study that um, the average person chews about seven times before they actually try to swallow something, which is really not good for your digestion because it's so much surface area that your body has to now break down and then taste your food. When you taste your food, you're, you're getting that kind of green light in your brain. Like, oh my gosh, Bobby's eating. She's enjoying, she's smelling it. She's actually aware that she's taking it in versus inhaling it on the road, out the door or doing something else and looking over. I'm sure you guys have all seen this where you've gotten something to eat and you look and there's nothing left and you don't even really remember that you ate it, right? 
And when you don't, when your body doesn't remember that it ate, it stays, it can actually have this, the hunger signals can stay turned on for too long and you overeat. Absolutely. I, I watch that all the time. Watch it. And I think it's more prevalent in males than it is females as far as eating fast and not letting your food digest. I watch it with my husband. I watch it with my son. I mean, my daughter and I was sitting there eating. We look over and like, how are you done already? <laughs> Did you even taste your food? <laughs> Oh. And I think that has to do with, uh, I know a lot of guys that were in the service, like your husband was, say, Shannon, yeah. I think yep. they were, you know, programmed to just shovel it in, you know, and get and go. So maybe, you know, your son watched, watched dad doing that. And so he learned, learned the bad habits. Absolutely. Absolutely. You had like, you know, two minutes to finish your plate and then you were going for a run. Like, you know, when I look at the, what they've done in boot camp, yeah, they come out looking great and you know, that they're, they're their minds are good, their bodies are good, but at the same time, as a health coach, I look and go, okay, 20 years later, now I understand why you have some of the issues that you have because of that, you know, training that you had, right? And one thing to jump on there with our kids too, when we rush them to eat, hurry up, hurry up and eat, yeah. eating in the car, hurry up, hurry up, eat, 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 or telling them to eat when they're not hungry. That's really overriding our body's cues. So if you have a period of time where you cannot, your child is schedule and you're carpooling, or you're busy, where you're so busy that they couldn't even sit down and eat, they have to eat on the fly. It's probably better to have a snack and plan that meal in a better position in the day where they can actually sit down and do the things that I was talking about. Because if, if you have a kid who has any kind of stress that's coming out, whether it's anxiety or depression or behavior that is not behavior that you're looking for, really try to hone in on where is the stress in their life? Where is the rush and the go, go, go? Because that yeah. will really impact their digestion. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And we're actually going to do a, an episode in the future about kids nutrition and, you know, attacking that problem, you know, eating on the go, they get home from school, they've got, you know, 20 minutes to get a snack. And now we're off and we're running to, you know, the soccer practice or the football practice or something like that, right? And it's just kind of go, go, go from there. So good points for sure. All right. So we've discussed a lot of information so far. We've talked about how digestive health intertwines with the rest of our health, our mental health, um, making sure our digestive system has the proper enzymes to digest foods and why it's important to have those proper nutrients absorbed, right? So I want to talk about when it comes to digestive health, how important healthy movement is. This is an area that a lot of people don't make the connection with their digestive health and how much it can help. And understandably so, if you're someone who, for instance, Bobby, you were talking about, you know, maybe when your stress level gets high, you have constipation, but we have the other end of that too, where if the stress level gets high, you have to go talk in front of 20, 30 people. And now you've got the diarrhea, we call it the panic diarrhea, right? Or you're going out, you have to be in public, like, that's the same thing, like your digestive health is not healthy, if that's happening, although can be a normal function, because stress levels up, you're panicking about the speech you have to have and your body thinks you're being chased by a bear, right? But if it's happening consistently and you don't have say so, if you will, over that happening, that means your stress level is way too high and unmanaged. So when it comes to doing things like healthy movement, sometimes maybe our listeners will be like, no way. 
not doing it, I'm going to end up in the bathroom every time I do that. But how I really want to touch on how important it really is to one, help our digestive system and to bring down that stress level that may be causing things like that. Jane, how about we go to you? Okay, absolutely. Some excellent points made so far. So I just want to lead with healthy movement and how it enhances lymph drainage. So lymphatic fluid is really essential to maintain tissue health because it removes waste products and it has no central pump like the heart does. So how are you getting it to pump? You have to move in some way. So when you do that, it definitely reduces risk of inflammation and supports a healthy digestive system. And then there's uh, promoting bowel regularity through movement. And you'll want to engage the core muscles with that. And that stimulates the muscles of the GI tract to stimulate and efficiently move food and waste through the digestive system, right? You don't want it hanging around too long. You want it to do what it needs to do uh, for as long as it needs to do it and no longer, right? So physical activity can help prevent conditions like irritable bowel syndrome. And like uh, Michelle was talking about, I have had experience with IBS and it wasn't fun and it really impacted my lifestyle. So this is really something to consider consider in moving, uh, making sure your bowels are, you're pooping every day, pretty much. Um, and then you wanna support a healthy gut microbiome by being active and doing so, you wanna have a diverse and balanced gut microbiome, which is crucial for digestive health. It aids in digestion, and you want to be able to absorb new nutrients, helps regulate inflammation, which is a big portion of any of those bowel diseases. And uh, you want to have a good, robust immune system. Now think about the uh, seasonal threats that are coming our way, right, or are any place. You want to be proactive about that whole sort of scenario. Physical activity can balance neurotransmitters. Through that, releases the endorphins and other feel-good neurotransmitters, which can help reduce stress and anxiety. As, the, as you know, chronic stress can negatively affect the digestive system because alters gut motility. Everything pretty much slows down. What, like the ladies are talking about, it's kind of like that flight or fight situation. So you want things to be moving throughout your body. So by buffering stress and promoting the production of healthy neurotransmitters, movement supports a more harmonious gut-brain axis. So you get that flow. And another thing I want to touch on is uh, weight gain and obesity. So it goes without saying that if you're more active, you're burning more calories, right? And it also helps ward off uh, GERD, which is gastroesophageal reflux disease. I'm sure many people have heard about that before. Fatty liver disease and certain types of cancer. So it also, uh, you get to maintain a healthy weight and body composition. You know, look good, feel good, that whole package. I also want to touch on posture and core strength is really important in order to make sure those digestive organs are lined up properly and being toned on a regular basis. And so that will uh, go a long way in making sure the digestive tract is functioning properly. 
what I often uh, like to do, and these are so simple things that you can do throughout your day. You can uh, put your legs up the wall. You can do some, some side twists, which are really uh, like twist wringing out a towel kind of thing. It really tones your intestinal organs. And then we go on to enhancing circulation. So it improves overall circulation, helping to support the health of the digestive system because you're getting the adequate blood flow. And we need that, right, in order to nourish every organ in our body. Uh, I'll touch on inflammation. It's associated with various digestive disorders such as uh, IBD, which, uh, like Shannon was talking about, is next level for IBS. And it, healthy movement can help reduce systemic inflammation, promote an anti-inflammatory environment within the gut. So like the ladies were saying, what's happening in the gut is not just staying in the gut. It's, it's going everywhere. All the particles and things are floating around and your body has to do something with those. So we want to make sure that we keep inflammation at bay. Um, like Shannon was saying prior to me coming on, uh, the mental health piece, uh, conditions like depression, anxiety uh, are known to impact the gut-brain axis and can lead to GI symptoms, uh, regular movement, particularly aerobic exercises can uh, alleviate symptoms of depression, anxiety, um, indirectly, thereby indirectly benefiting digestive health, right? So I just want to sum it up by saying healthy movement is really essential for maintaining long-term digestive health. So I encourage the listeners to take a moment to think about what you have learned today and apply it, however small, just start small and do something that you really can see yourself doing and enjoying and then just build on it. And before you know it, it'll be, uh, it'll come naturally. Absolutely. Some great points there, Jane, especially when it comes to, you know, your lymph system and that circulation, you know, helping our body to detox all of those fluids and toxins that are being built up. And, you know, I really love the point that you put in there about toning your organs. We hear everybody talk about toning our muscles, right? But you never hear anybody talk about toning your organs. And it is so important. Some of the homeopathic remedies and herbal remedies that I use and you use as well, Jane, are really specific for helping to tone organs, which then helps them in turn get back to their natural detoxing process, right? It's so, so important. And so there are some natural ways without taking supplements to do that. And that is exercise, you know, um, a lot of people don't realize that. So thank you for pointing that out. So everywhere we go, I know this is something that people are kind of waiting for us to touch on in this conversation. We hear about probiotics, prebiotics, um, the importance of fiber. You know, we rarely hear about the necessary precursor to these, which are enzymes, which you've heard us mention several times so far. So Kathy, I want to go to you. What is the importance of all of these components for digestive health? And what are some common myths around them that you can dispel for our listeners? Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of things have popped into my mind as y'all were speaking. And um, one of the things I do want to touch on, we were talking about um, GERD and acid, you know, your stomach acid and things like that. So many people are on PPIs and, you know, um, long term. And if you actually look at one of those boxes of Prilosec, you know, and those kind of things, it says take maximum for two weeks. And these people have been on them for years and years and years. So um, one of the one of the things that I've learned is that low HCL or stomach acid actually um, 
you have to have the proper pH in your in your stomach to facilitate all the um, other um, down, downstream um, enzymes being created, your pancreas, which releases the enzymes, um, the bile acids and all of that. So if you're on PPIs, I just want to start with this first. You really need to get that under control as I was talking about, you know, the bowel movements before, but that's the other, the other side of it. Um, you really need to make sure you have proper pH because everything else, nothing else will work if that's not working properly. Um, so the enzymes are actually catalysts in the body, which facilitate every chemical reaction. There's millions of them. And, you know, it's funny, a few years ago, I didn't even realize that there were systemic and digestive enzymes. So the digestive enzymes are actually going to help facilitate breaking down the food once it gets into your, actually in your, in your intestines. Um, so the HCL helps to break down the proteins in your stomach. And as again said, you know, started those enzymes and, and bile acids. So the uh, digestive enzymes help to break down your food into smaller particles so that they can be absorbed into your system. Um, another great thing about enzymes, digestive enzymes, if you are having food sensitivities or autoimmune conditions, where I was talking about earlier, where it's leaking through the gut, if you have a, a really good, uh, I'm sorry, digestive enzymes, sometimes that will help prevent those reactions. Because if it's a good digestive enzyme, it's breaking down all those proteins prior to it leaking out through the epithelial cell. So you won't have those inflammatory responses. So digestive enzymes are so important. Um, one thing, um, one little fact I do want to share is by age 50, our digestive efficiency is half of what we were by at, at the age of 24. And it uh, decreases 5%. I'm sorry. 3%. Let's see. I've got the numbers wrong. Da, 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 da. Falls 50% every five years after the age of 50. By the age of 70, it's less than 3% of what we were at 24. So a good digestive enzyme is really important um, for folks. Um, so I would like to start with that. Um, probiotics. Um, Yes, those are so important. Um, I know some people feel that, you know, you, you shouldn't have to take a probiotic long term. Um, in my opinion, we're inundated with so many different um, toxins, like we were talking about earlier, that it really is, um, I, I feel, one of the most important things you can do because your microbiome is your immune health. So um, there are certain strains that target the colon. Uh, bifido strains have actually been shown to help prevent severe illnesses. So if you're lacking bifido strains, you're more likely to have, you know, be knocked out by COVID or, or whatever for two or three weeks versus a few days. Um, yeast and fungal infections, there's different probiotics that help to break those down. So I like to rotate my probiotics and I feel like, you know, everybody should probably try to facilitate that. There's lacto, there's bifido, there's the Saccharomyces boulardii, which is more of a yeast derived. And then there's the spore-based probiotics. Um, one other thing is too is you know, for a long time, I was always told, you know, get the refrigerated ones. They're 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 more, um, you know, more efficacious. Um, but think about these refrigerated probiotics. The first thing you do is go put it in your mouth, and what is it? Ninety-eight point six, right? So all that refrigeration is it really doing any good? You want it to be stable on the shelf um, and make sure that it's getting through the stomach acid. So um, those are a couple of things that I'd like to caution you about that. Um, moving on to prebiotics and fibers. Um, there's all different kinds of prebiotics as well. So um, 
another you know interesting fact I've learned is that there are different Dalton weights or molecular weights of fibers, and the lower the the Dalton weight is, the more bacteria that it's going to feed, pathogenic or beneficial bacteria. So you'll see, you know, a lot of prebiotic powders will have inulin, FOS, uh, FOS, XOS, chicory, all of those things. Those actually have lower Dalton weights and are more likely to feed those pathogenic bacteria and cause more gas and bloating. Um, I like to recommend sun fiber, which is a partially hydrolyzed guar gum, and it actually has a 20,000 Dalton weight, which is many times more than the other um, bacteria that we were prebiotics we were talking about. And then um, the fibers, um, soluble fibers, actually help to um, absorb water and forms a gel, helping to eliminate. And then insoluble fiber actually ha adds bulk to stool to prevent constipation. Um, I would love to, you know, another thing I'd like to share with you is an easy way to increase fiber is to increase your resistant starch. And some of the things you can do for that is eating different beans, legumes, black beans, pinto beans, lentils, what have you. Um, starchy foods that have been cooked and cooled is a really great resistant starch. Um, rice, potatoes, sweet potatoes, even pastas and tortillas. Um, you, you cook them cool them off, and then you can even reheat them or cook them or use them in a, a salad of some sort, you know, cold. Um, another one is um, green bananas or plantains. I know that's not on most people's typical diet, um, but it is a great way to add the resistant starch. And then you can get raw potato starch um, and then whole grains, oats and barley and those kind of things. So that, all of those things will definitely help to increase your um, gut health. Um, everything from your stomach to your to your colon. So there's a lot more going on in there than just when you say gut. Sometimes people don't realize that there's so much going on with the stomach, small intestine, and large intestine, and all the different functions they have. But there's a lot going on down there. I love when I learned about resistant starch. I didn't know it for so long. It was just about two and a half, three years ago that I learned about resistant starch, and I was like, okay. And and even when it comes to talking about people who have issues with diabetes, right? And they're told they can't have potatoes when in reality those potatoes because of the resistant starch contained in them they do not break down in the digestive system they break down in the colon so it does not affect their blood glucose right so it was crazy to learn that and it was life-changing for some of my clients to learn that because what's the one thing you miss when you're a diabetic you know it's the potatoes right obviously the no potato chips, but to have a baked potato, right? You know, or a mashed potato or something is, is helpful for them. Um, and I can definitely attest to the digestive enzymes. You know, um, my daughter has a gluten intolerance. She's not celiac, but she has a gluten intolerance. And to be able to take those digestive enzymes, and we've had to work our way through several different types of digestive enzymes um, in order to find one that really fits and, and works for her. But Again, that's that individual need, right? Um, but to be able to see her when there's something she really wants, or we're out at a restaurant and we're not sure if something has gluten on it, right, or is cross-contaminated, to be able for her to have those digestive enzymes and then be okay and not be in the bathroom for the next 24 hours is is great. Um, and then the systemic enzyme education, I know you've educated me a lot on that in the last year. And, you know, it's, it's mind-blowing to 
know the difference that you have digestive enzymes and then you have the systemic that works on your and throughout your blood system to help cleanse the rest of the body from the things that weren't digested properly in your digestive system and are now free flowing throughout your blood and can cause different issues you know in your blood vessels so let's talk about um, a little bit further balancing your gut bacteria with things like fermented foods right fermented foods are whole foods like milk, veggies, fruits that have been prepared in a way to create conditions for natural growth of enzymes and probiotics. So these are things like kimchi and sauerkraut and kefir, um, which is, um, you know, like a yogurt drink, right? So all of these types of things that you're, you're hearing about a lot lately. Um, what are some practical tips for incorporating fermented foods into one's diet? So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And then um, anybody else who wants to jump in, just go ahead and jump in. You know, fermented foods are really a staple um, when it comes to increasing your gut health. However, they also have to be done slowly. So when I first started with fermented foods, I learned about fermented foods while I was going to herbal medicine school and how important they were. And it's obviously a natural way of getting those probiotics and prebiotics and enzymes in without having to pay for expensive supplements in order to do that, right? So it's a, a much easier way for some people. But when you do something, when you're first starting out and you decide, well, kombucha is good. It has probiotics. It's got prebiotics. It's great, you know, for my digestive health. And then you drink a 16 ounce bottle and then you end up in the bathroom because you've overloaded your system too quickly with those. Right. So it is something that needs to be taken slow, but it can be very, very beneficial. So I make sauerkraut. Um, I make, I've made kimchi a couple of times. I've made kefir. Um, so doing those things, literally learning that one tablespoon of something like sauerkraut just added to your dinner plate every night can give you a great amount of the probiotics and prebiotics and enzymes that your body needs. So you don't have to overdo it. You don't have to make these huge batches of it. And the more it sits, the more that these enzymes and, and probiotics are going to grow, the more of them you're going to have. It was amazing to find out that there were millions and millions of probiotics in just one tablespoon of that sauerkraut. And if you can, like some people will buy it, you know, you go in the refrigerator section, you can buy a jar of sauerkraut. Um, I have some issues with that because it still has to be low. There's low heat that has to be applied to it to seal that jar. Um, so it's not completely true fermented. However, you know, if you can make your own and even better, you can make it with fruits and vegetables because you can do a fruit sauerkraut as well. You can do it with those that are grown locally or in your garden and they still have the soil on them because they're soil based probiotics in your soil that are very, very important for your health. Um, you know, dirt literally won't kill you in this instance, <laughs> you know, you, there's a book by Dr. Josh Axe called Eat Dirt. And this is what he's talking about, you know, because there's so many things that are beneficial for you. But in our fields, like I live in central Illinois, and we're surrounded by soy beans and corn fields and things like that. But there's literally no nutrients left in that soil 
that can help because of all the chemicals and everything that have been applied. So to be able to get those from your garden, from your local farmer's market, from someone you know doesn't use chemicals, will give you those soil-based probiotics that you need in that. Um, you know, doing simple things like shredded carrots, you know, from a garden, you know, that you don't necessarily have to wash off, just shred them, put them in there. You know, it's generally salt and, and fresh water that um, starts the fermentation process. Um, so it's very easy to do, very easy to start. And it can, in, in improving your gut health, we've talked about all of the ways that that's going to affect your body, your immune system, your circulatory system, your bloodstream, everything in your body, your hormones, your neurotransmitters. So doing some of these simple things that can sit on your shelf, you put them together, you sit on your shelf for a couple of weeks, you know, and they start doing, you can just, you know, add it to your food every day. It's very, very simple. Um, and you have a wide variety of what you can choose from. So if you're thinking about doing something like this, there's lots and lots and lots of videos online, on social media, um, and Googling how to do this. Um, I've done a couple of classes myself on how to do this. It's just a really easy way to incorporate fermented foods into your diet. And especially if you're on a really tight budget and you're not sure what probiotics or enzymes to get, or you're not connected with a health coach who's got the education in that yeah it's a really easy way for you to start so moving on in closing out our episode today i want to talk about some additional supplements for digestive health um, and the importance of using um, a functional medicine test for gi issues um, and when it's appropriate to seek professional help okay so what are some of the roles of supplements in supporting digestive health? I know, Kathy, you've talked quite a bit about that. Um, do you, you want to add anything to that? Bobby, do you want to pop in and add anything? Well, um, just real quick, you know, I think, you know, even before stool test, it's, you, you, those things are so darn expensive. I mean, you're talking four or $500 for a stool test. See what you can do first on the front end with probiotics and enzymes and, and working with the coach, you know, or, or even on your own. Um, like I said, not all probiotics are created equal. So you want to make sure you're getting a high quality one that's getting through the stomach and then work with those digestive systemic enzymes. See if you can reduce some of that inflammation and um, get some fibers into your gut to help feed the bacteria in your gut. So all of those things will really help to benefit you. And you may be able to save four or $500 on that stool test. So that's where I would start. Absolutely. And I think that's really important. I mean, there's so much that people don't know about enzymes. I've talked with several functional medicine practitioners, even that they don't have the education in enzymes of any kind and how important they are to the body in reducing inflammation, improving gut health and things like that. So it's really something that's new, even though we all know about it, and it's been around for years, like it's just starting to go across several different types of medical communities. So, but it is the number one, if your body can't break that food down, that's where every, all of the trouble starts. So it's so, so important. Um, Bobby, do you want to talk a little bit about what some of those functional tests are that people um, can get and where they would have access to those? Sure. That they're, like Kathy said, you know, a lot of times you just need to kind of take a big picture, right? The bird's eye view and what am I eating? I mean, if you're eating junk, start there, get rid of the junk. Stop going out to eat. Stop, you know, eating the the things that come in a bag or a box that comes from the factory. You cut all of that out and you're eating whole foods and you're still struggling with 
constipation, diarrhea, gas, bloating, all of that, then you got to go deeper. And you, that's when you can add the, the digestive enzymes and probiotics. And if that's still not working and you have what I call the supplement graveyard, right? You, you've watched the ads on TV or read them in the magazine or clicked on them on um, you know socials and ordered something that you thought was going to be the thing. Um, and you're still, you know, you have half a bottle and you kind of abandon it, then it's probably time to work with the pr practitioner that can run labs that typically isn't always going to be your conventional medicine doctor. So either a naturopathic doctor, a functional medicine doctor, um, a nutritionist that does testing, um, or a health coach that does testing, not all health coaches do testing. Um, but there's a lot of different things that you can do. You can order tests online and get that information for yourself and then take it to a practitioner, which is, you know, fairly new. Um, but if you have a, a graveyard of supplements and you just really don't know what to do, I would suggest tracking as well. Like what are your symptoms? When did they start? What have you done to change that? You know, did you take, for, for instance, grains? I took grains out of my diet when I had had it with having plantar fasciitis, which is where your the arch of your foot always hurts, especially in the morning when you wake up. I'd had it for 15 years after I had my third child. And part of that I know was some other breakdowns that were going on in my body, but I decided to let go of grains and I had to read labels. I had to cut out a lot of different things, but it finally was one of the things that lowered my inflammation level in my body enough that I could actually get up in the morning and not wince when I put my feet on the ground. Um, so tracking when you do things is really helpful because if you do see a doctor, then you have a history. Like you can say, Hey, this is what I've eliminated. This is how long I eliminated. These are the symptoms I'm having. It, it takes time and it takes commitment, but that's, you know, what your health is all about and nobody's going to do it for you. And I think we live in a society where we're all like looking for a quick fix. Um, you're chasing symptoms. Like if I could take this one thing and get rid of this one symptom. And unfortunately it's not one thing. It's a compilation of, you know, lots of complex things. And so something like a GI map is something that they look at your stool. They look for pathogens in your stool and bacteria and micro microbes and parasites. But they also look at the metabolites. Like how are you breaking down your food? Do you have too high of something in your stool that you just are have way too much of and not breaking it down? An organic acids test is also a good test to also check for metabolites. They have hormone tests where they do a saliva test where they can check What's your cortisol pattern like, you know, and tells you what your stress levels are. Um, where are you, you know, where's the, the breakdown in your hormone system? Food sensitivity tests can be, like I said, kind of a, a snapshot in time. Like Shannon said, if you're eating, like I did, I did a, a Viome test, which is a new AI test that's been out a couple of years. And they take your blood and your urine, you send it in they send you back your optimal foods list, your watch out like morning foods list, and then don't eat list. And it said watermelon. It was like for me, well, that was because I was eating massive amounts of watermelon to detox because it's got glutathione um, precursors in it. And so I knew I'm not allergic to watermelon. I just was eating a lot of it and maybe too much for my system at the time. Um, all of those things can help you make a plan. And that's really kind of what this is all about is, 
is a lot of detective work when it comes to the gut. It, it really is. And it takes patience and time. And I know a lot of people get very frustrated when they say, well, you know, I gave up gluten for a week and nothing happened. And it's like your body has a lot of repairing. If you think about all those villi that I was talking about, they got to go from wide open to closed and then you got to heal all of the cells. That takes time, you know, and if you've been beating up your gut with stress and food and your environmental toxins, you got to give yourself time to heal. Yep, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I love about being able to have these functional medicine tests is, you know, when several years ago, when I was feeling really bad and having digestive issues that no matter what I changed, it just got worse and worse. And it was because I had a bacterial infection, you know, the H. pylori, which conventional medicine ignored, they didn't test for. So as a health coach, being able to order that you know, and, and get those results. Um, I had actually had a miscarriage because of the H. pylori and I didn't know at the time. And therefore, when you have H. pylori, you cannot produce progesterone in order to keep the baby. So some of those who are listening, who may be suffering from things like PCOS, you know, there may be some other underlying causes of reasons why you're struggling to um, get pregnant. You know, it's, it's a very, very common thing. And so doing tests like this is very helpful. But again, you really need to track your symptoms. You've got to track what you're eating. You've got to track all these things for more than just a couple of days, you know, um, to really get a big picture to then be able to go to a professional, um, you know, like naturopath, functional medicine doctor, health coach, nutritionist, like Bobby was talking about and say, this is what I have. This is where I'm struggling and I, I don't understand what's going on. And maybe my conventional doctor is just kind of ignoring what's going on here, right? To then be able to take the right steps. So thank you, Bobby, for really pointing out all of those areas and where somebody really needs to just kind of take that next step and, and seek professional help. For sure. I did. I did have one thing okay. I wanted to jump on with that Kathy was talking about with probiotics and the gut and different things that I wanted to pass on to mamas, either people that are going to become a mama or mamas that are getting ready to deliver. Um, one of the things I learned in a summit on gut health was the um, colostrum, which is the it's not the milk when you first are breastfeeding, but it's it's what happens in the first, I don't know, 24, 48 hours. It actually goes into the baby and it actually prepares the baby's gut to accept nutrition. And it, so it's improving the gut lining and it shuts certain things off um, that were open when the baby was inside the mom. And it helps with the baby being able to have a healthy gut lining. So when I learned that, I thought, all right, if you are not a person who wants to breastfeed, whether it's by choice or by physically, you just cannot do it. If you can express that colostrum, even just in that first few um, days and have that given to the baby, you are setting your baby up for so much better gut health for the rest of their life um, just by giving them that gift. It's called actual liquid gold. And so I'm just passing that on to mamas out there to um, consider that when you're going to have your babies. Thank you for putting that in. There are so many. I mean, we're in a, we're in a society that's pushing formula over breastfeeding. You know, it's been crazy to watch what's happened the last couple of years where moms who are out breastfeeding are condemned for doing it. And it's such a natural part of the body. There's a reason for it. Like you just pointed out, there is an absolute reason for it. Your The baby's body needs it to be set up properly. And a lot of times I've worked with a lot of kids and 
that's one of the questions on, on the form for parents is, did you breastfeed? And so many of the allergies and everything that these kids are experiencing are because they were started on formula and they were not breastfed. So to be able to go back and, and even adding some things like colostrum supplements, you know, to get their body set back up where they should be um, has been super important. So thank you for our listeners to joining us in this exploration of digestive health today from a holistic perspective. We hope this episode has shed light on the significance of a healthy digestive system, not only for your physical health, but for your emotional well-being as well. Remember, your gut is your body's powerhouse and nurturing it is a key step towards overall vitality. Before we wrap up, I just want to express my gratitude to our health coaches for sharing their valuable insights. Your expertise has enriched the discussion for sure, and definitely confident that our audience has gained actionable tips and knowledge to take control of their digestive health. So thank you, ladies. And as you journey forward, remember that small, consistent changes can make a big impact on your digestive well-being, whether it's choosing nourishing foods, incorporating stress reduction techniques, staying hydrated. Every step you take contributes to a healthier version of you. As we wrap up today's episode, I want to focus on our North Star tip. Let me get it up here for those of you who are watching. And it is simply listen to your body. Your body communicates with you through signals and symptoms. Pay attention to how you're feeling after eating certain foods, during periods of stress, or when you engage in different lifestyle choices. Be mindful of how your digestive system is responding. By tuning in and listening to your body's cues, you can make informed choices to support your digestive health. And remember, Everyone's digestive system is unique and what works for one person may not work for another. This includes kids as well. What you may be doing for your digestive health may not necessarily be right for your kids. The path to optimal digestive health begins with understanding your body's signals and tailoring your approach accordingly. Your body is your best guide on this journey to a better digestive wellness. If you have found this episode informative and helpful, please consider subscribing leave us a review. Those are very, very important. Um, and share it with friends and family. Your support enables us to continue providing valuable content to holistic well-being. Stay tuned for our next episode where we're going to dive into more aspects of holistic health to empower you with the knowledge and tools you need to thrive. And today's quote is a very, very important one. Um, it, total sense on what this quote, you are not what you eat. A lot of, we hear that a lot, that you are what you eat. You are not what you eat. You are what your body is able to digest and absorb and use properly. So with that, everyone have a great week and we look forward to talking with you on our next episode. See you all later.